Let's uh, remain standing. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 127. It's found on 518 of uh, the Pew Bibles. We'll read the whole psalm together. Well, I'm going to read it. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Thus far with the reading of God's word, you may be seated. I hope you'll bear with me today. There are times when, uh, well, when I think I may go on beyond 30 minutes. So be prepared. I don't think that I will say anything that is not helpful. Psalm 127 may be regarded as one of the wisdom psalms, its author is Solomon. It reflects some of the structure and cadence of the book of Proverbs. And Psalm 127 asserts no less than these three things. That any endeavor undertaken solely for the pleasure and glory of man will ultimately fail. Except the Lord build the house. They labor in vain who build it. Secondly, it teaches that God is the safeguard of his creation. When man presumes himself to be the protector of the city, of the state, of the country, of the world, the protector of the universe, or of the climate, apart from God, he will find himself at odds with the Almighty and only reap disappointment and failure. And thirdly, it teaches that God gave us a lineage. God gave us our children. And it is our responsibility to train them well. Except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. In Luke's Gospel in chapter 12, Jesus tells the story of a certain rich man who had some land. It grew a good crop, a crop so great that he had nowhere to store it. He thought to himself, what will I do? I have no place to keep all my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and other goods. I will keep them all for myself. Since it was my labor and ingenuity 
that my land yielded so richly. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry, he said to his soul. But Jesus replied to him, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will be those things for which you have labored? And Jesus concluded with this statement. It's a statement for us. So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. I think you get the point. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. I have one more story. It's a personal one. One about a young man who from the age of five wanted to be a weatherman. Who wouldn't? (laughs) He set his heart on accomplishing that goal and eventually found himself in college, juggling part-time employment and school, working pretty hard, but working towards a career in meteorology and advancing towards that goal. And yet, there was something missing. And he knew it. He should have been happy. He should have been full of hope. He was building a life that he had every indication that it would lead to the fulfillment of all his goals and dreams. But the man was miserable. I was anything but satisfied. What I was building towards and now growing so close to accomplishing was my lifetime ambition, but my soul was sick. I was a lost soul until in my junior year of college, God found me, and I found him. And the words of this psalm became very true to me. Except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. If you were to visit my house, you would see those words. You'd see them right away. And you would see them because of the faith of my then little children who took these words that we've already read from Deuteronomy chapter 6 quite literally. I'll read them again to you. God spoke to his people in the wilderness and said these words of my covenant, which I command you today, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets before your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and, of your, and on your gates. Well... Upon hearing those words, what did my young children said? They reminded me, there's no words painted on our doorpost. (laughs) And there needed to be some. So Gail made some stencils. I found some white paint and soon the words, except the Lord builds the house. They labor in vain who build it. Were displayed on our doorpost. A reminder to us and to all who enters that God builds a house that is lasting. 
that is not fragile, but strong, not temporary, but enduring. And he weaves together the labor of faithful parents in so doing, in the construction of this house. God demands that all our efforts be taken under the auspices of a sovereign God to whom all glory in heaven and upon earth belong. So long as I undertook the pursuit of my own affections to my own recognition and glory, so doing during my college days, my life would appear even to me to be dissatisfying, to be an exercise in futility. What a joy it is now to look back on those days that then were dark and dismal and find that this merciful God that we have come to worship today heard my cry. I cried out to the Lord in my trouble and he delivered me out of my distresses and he led me forth by the right way so that I might go to a city that has habitation. A meaningful city. Psalm 107, verses 6 and 7. When God is the builder of the house, we no longer labor in vain that build it. This psalm is a reminder for each one of us that any effort undertaken by men will only succeed if it has the blessing of the Lord of heaven. Except the Lord be the doer of it, and except the glory of God be its goal and purpose, it will be for naught. If the glory of Dennis be the goal of that endeavor, it will ultimately fail. And all the effort that Dennis expended and all his personal glory that he sought after will come crashing down in a great wave of vanity and disappointment. And I know that to be true. When the Lord Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he meant to set before us the only foundation upon which one can successfully build anything of lasting value. If your life and my life and my lineage is to be an enduring thing, then its underpinnings must be for the splendor of Jehovah. The seeking of God's kingdom and his glory is a far wider mandate than simply a call to repentance and faith, a one-time affirmation, so to speak. It is a call to a manner of living that yields fruit always to the glory of God. It is a call to a manner of living that subordinates every other pursuit to the first and the primary pursuit of God's kingdom, of His righteousness, and to the glory of His Christ and our Lord. Except the house be built on the principles of heaven and our aspirations be to reach that city of God, 
our efforts will all be a waste. Well, what does that mean in practical terms? It means this, that I commit my life, my aspirations, my occupation, my recreation, my hobbies, my home life, my thought life, all my responsibilities, I commit and submit them to the Lordship of Christ and to the glory of God and to the furtherance of His kingdom's work in me. Every moment of time is or ought to be to me a sacred thing. Christ called us to a labor that mortifies me and exalts the Lord God. Our Sundays together, they're for the purpose of growing in grace and in the knowledge of Christ in stirring us up to love and good works and all to the glory of Christ. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. The second point is this. God is the safeguard of his creation. Man is not now, nor will he ever be the guardian of the universe, of its climate, or of anything else. When man presumes himself to be the protector of the city, of the state, of the country, of the world, apart from the Almighty, He will only find disappointment and failure unless the Lord guards the city. The watchman stays awake in vain. How great was the empire of Babylon? And how did Belshazzar and his famous feast feel secure when the waters of the Euphrates were being bottled up, and the army of the uh, Medes was, uh, and the Persians was entering that walled fortress, thought to be impregnable. You and I can take comfort in this fact that the Lord is a watchman and guard over all his creation, and especially of his chosen people. Psalm 124 begins with these words. They're words of David. If I had been, if it had not been that the Lord was on our side when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. But of course, God is on our side. God stands guard over his people. And we can derive comfort, and we ought to derive comfort from that fact. In the ancient world, uh, watchmen stood guard over walled cities through the night watches to warn of the approach of enemies. But human watchmen are of limited value. You know that, and I do. They can warn, but they can't fend off every enemy. But not so with the Lord of heaven and earth. If our comfort and security rests in the safekeeping of our Lord God Almighty, we can be sure that we are safe at all times. Why should I need to be cajoled into faithful submission to my King Jesus 
when he so faithfully stands guard over his loved ones. And he says this of you and me. We are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Outside Christ's church, there is no security, no peace, no ultimate and unfailing peace, none. But the Lord himself safeguards his church so that we may say this, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And we read that twice in the scriptures, the last time in Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. Some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, and they do so foolishly. But the people of God remember and trust in the name of the Lord their God. From Psalm 20, verse 7. It is vain for you and me to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, to fret and stew, to plot and plan, for so he gives his beloved sleep. He gives his beloved rest, even during the storms of life. You and I, we're not cast adrift in an ocean of blind, uncaring fate, as some believe. We have a God who, in this psalm, calls us his beloved. Imagine that. I am so small, and he is so great. And yet, he condescends and sets his undeserved affection on me and calls me his beloved. And so he gives his beloved sleep. Lastly, beginning at verse 3, and I want to stress this because it's important. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows are in the hands of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. God gave us our lineage. God gave us our children. It is our responsibility. I'm serious about this. This is not something that we get to give or take. God gave us the responsibility to train our children well. They are our most cherished possession. How then are we to build our households apart from the superintending wisdom and power of the Almighty? Except the Lord build the household, they labor in vain that build it. This psalm speaks directly to those who are parents in our audience, and we have a bunch. I don't want to have you that uh, are older, we're, well, we're still parents. And uh, actually, for the last month and a half, we've had uh, a couple of kids. (laughs) That's been nice. This psalm speaks directly to those who are parents. Some of you are not yet married, and there are a few married couples that have not yet had children, but the psalm has application even indirectly to you. This nonsense today about children being the ward of a village, 
takes a village to raise a child. Or this nonsense that children are the ward of a school system is more than just nonsense. It's devilish, and you know it. God did not give children to villages. God gave children to parents. They were conceived by one father and by one mother. And not by accident, not indiscriminately, not apart from the active will and purpose of the Almighty. Children are not unintended. Not in that sense. Our culture is drowning in this mantra that if mankind uses means, it can prevent the birth of an unintended and unwanted child. But certainly every child born can rightly affirm this, that you, O Lord, you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Our children are more than an inheritance from the Lord. They are reward from God. And each one of them are a reward. I can take this verse quite literally. God has rewarded me with children. He's done the same for all who are here, who are parents. Whether you have one or whether you have many. God has placed these souls into our hands as an inheritance. And he has said to you, just as he said to me, this is the house that I will build. I give you not only these children, but I also give you the promise of my servant Abraham. I will be your God, and I will be the God of your children. Only do this. Be careful to train these children and to teach them my ways, for then it will go well with you, and these children will be a blessing to you. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Only be careful. What does that look like, being careful? I think many of you already know. Reading again from Deuteronomy, this time from chapter 11. Therefore you lay up these words of mine in your heart, speaking to parents, and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children... You shall speak of them when you sit in the house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers like the days of the heavens above the earth. Children are a heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Children are given to parents to train, to model Christian living, 
before them to teach them the scriptures that are able to make one wise unto salvation. So said the Apostle Paul to Timothy. And Timothy had a faithful grandmother and then a faithful mother. And then there was Timothy. Family devotions, family worship, regular reading and teaching from the scriptures, daily prayer together as a family, regular attendance at the worship of God and his people. These are what we call the means of grace. These means of grace are to be practiced, practiced daily. And for that to take place, they must be a priority. A high priority must be placed on forming these habits in our households. The scriptures teach us that fruitful house building, it begins with parents themselves. As we read in Deuteronomy 11, Therefore you parents, lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. I must ask myself, do I engage in the feeding of my soul in the same way that I engage in the feeding of my body? Is my appetite for Scripture and its teaching quenched by imbibing in just one meal a week on the Lord's Day? I don't think so. The Lord's Day meal is meant to feed our hungry souls today and also to prepare us for the reading and understanding and imbibing in Scripture and the practice of daily prayer throughout the week. How would I ever come to know the rich promises of Christ Jesus if I only considered them for an hour or two once a week? How would I ever learn how a faithful God and his promises and how I may rest in him with confidence if I avoid having daily fellowship with him around his word? Meditating on it during my quiet times, I will never learn how to walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, and abounding in it with thanksgiving. This is how Colossians 2, verse 7, is formed in the life of the believing dad and the believing mom. If I take no interest in the things of God except for an hour or two on Sunday, my own children will take no greater interest than me, and my Lord will rebuke me. It's sobering. It is vanity for me to spend my week rising up early, toiling until late at night, fretting and stewing, over the sorrows of this life and neglecting to drink from the fountain of life that quenches the soul and gives me lasting peace. Our children are on loan from God. That's not the first time you've heard that. <laughs> they are his heritage to you, and now you are responsible for their care and for their spiritual nurturing. Parents must feed their own souls with the word regularly, daily, and then they will have the means to teach God's word to their children. 
I know this happens in your households too. But I found Gail using the common issues of the day to teach our children spiritual truths, opening the scriptures and teaching them lessons from it. And by doing so, I think she avoided a great deal of frustration. You know, kids can be frustrating. <laughs> but she saw in these daily things providential opportunity. They were teaching moments. And I still marvel at the quality of spiritual maturity that I find in my wife. And I found lacking in me. Now I want to speak to you fathers directly. You are the spiritual heads of your home. This by no means diminishes the role of the wife in the training of the children. But it is sobering indeed to realize that the father will be held accountable for the spiritual training of his children or the lack thereof. They will be held accountable before God. Joshua said this, As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he did so because he had the authority to do so. We fathers should take this as a call to action. These habits must be formed if we are to fulfill our duties as parents, teaching God's word to our children during the course of every day. I don't want to be badgering. I know many of you do a marvelous job in carrying through on just this. But we need to remind ourselves to be faithful and endure to the end. Don't grow weary in well-doing. We reap if we faint not. Godly children are a delight to their father, to their mother, and many of you have experienced that already. But some of you are in the midst of a very busy time, and I pray for you. I think I can say daily, I pray for you. You have experienced some of the difficulty, and the fruit of your training is still forming. You might say, there's still a bit green out there. <laughs> Hear these words, they're encouraging, from Proverbs chapter 23. This is God's promise to you. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. Godly children don't happen by chance. Godly children happen by their parents setting an example before them, by their parents teaching and training them in faith and godliness, by their parents not growing weary in well-doing, having a consistent style of faithful living, knowing that they shall reap if they faint not, by their parents' fervent prayers, and most of all, by the faithfulness of God, who always keeps his promise. He has said, if you train up a child in the way he should go when he is old, he will not depart from it.
There may be an exception to this rule here or there, a wayward child that seems distant, but we must never discard a promise because of its exception. We must trust and not lose heart. Well, thank you for your indulgence. Let me conclude with a few quotes from some champions of the faith, which I collected. There are only four. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it, is a promise that but seldom has missed fulfillment. Bring them to Jesus, and unchanged in his tenderness, he will still lay his hands upon them and bless them. Let the fruitful family, however poor, lay this to heart. Children are heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward, and he who gave them will feed them. For it is a fact that has never failed. Wherever God sends mouths, he sends meat. Our children are what we make them. They are represented as arrows in the hand of a mighty man, and the arrows go the way we aim them. And lastly, many children make many prayers, and many prayers bring much blessing. Except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain that build it. <laughs>